So we're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 9 today. And uh, let's read this chapter. I'm going to be in the Amplified Version. If you have it on your phone and you want to pull it up, it'd be easier to follow along. But either way, doesn't matter. But Amplified is what I'm going to be reading from. Let's read the text and then we're going to come back through and, and go through it. While he was passing by, um, let's get to the right part. While he was passing by, he noticed a man who had been blind from birth. Now, this is going to be a toughie. Can you imagine dealing with this? Turns out it's no issue for Jesus at all, but imagine being confronted with a man born blind from birth, and this guy has the power to actually address this and heal it. It's amazing. His disciples ask him, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Real common thinking that we have. We're going to come back to this. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed and illustrated in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while this day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, giving guidance through my word and works. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made, kind of an interesting thing that he did here, spat on the ground and made mud with his saliva, and he spread the mud like an ointment on the man's eyes. I wonder how much you could sell this, this uh, potion for. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. So the neighbors and those who used to know him as a beggar said, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Still others said, no, but he looks like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He replied, the man called Jesus made mud and smeared it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. They asked him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Then they brought the man who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was on the Sabbath day that Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes. So the Pharisees asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he smeared mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. Then some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner, a non-observant Jew, do such signs and miracles? So there's a difference of opinion among them. Accordingly, they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, it must be that he is a prophet. However, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the man's parents. They asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How, then how does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but as to how he now sees, we do not know, or who has opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him and stop asking us. He is of age. He will speak for himself and give his own account of it. His parents said this because they were afraid of the leaders of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone acknowledged Jesus to be the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue, excommunicated. Because of this, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So a second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give God glory and praise for your sight. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner separated from God. 
Crazy, crazy that they could say this. Then he answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner separated from God, but one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, what did he actually do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I already told you, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again and again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And at that remark, they stormed at him and jeered, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know for certain that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man replied, well, this is astonishing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know, according to your tradition, Pharisees, that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone fears God and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he would not be able to do anything like this because God would not hear his prayer. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins from head to foot and you presume to teach us. Then they threw him out of the synagogue. Interesting thing there, it makes you ask the question, who really here was born entirely in sins? Obviously we all are, but in their thinking, it was them. It wasn't this man who was on his way to conversion after uh, Jesus had done what he did to him, this miracle. Jesus heard that they had put him out of the synagogue and finding him, he asked, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have both seen him. And in fact, he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe in you and your word. And he worshiped him with reverence and awe. Then Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment to separate those who believe in me from those who reject me, to declare judgment on those who choose to be separated from God so that the sightless would see and those who see would become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to him, if you were blind to spiritual things, you would have no sin and would not be blamed for your unbelief. But since you claim to have spiritual sight, you have no excuse, so your sin and guilt remain. Crazy story. It really brings out one of the things, brings out a lot of things in the story, but one of the things is how those who are hard of heart and those who, who choose to be separated from God, there is nothing that can be done. Jesus can show up in the flesh, in person, and do the most amazing sign, the most amazing wonder, and they will find reason to speak badly of it and choose, to, it's interesting, Jesus says they choose to be separated from God. They choose not to believe. Paul talks about that. Amazing stuff. You know, that the gospels are amazing. The whole idea of the gospels that Jesus shows up in the flesh, it's really kind of the culmination of everything that's been going on. You know, if you, if you, if you look at the Bible, I was kind of was skimming through as I was going through and preparing, and uh, um, it's really interesting. There's many ways you can look at the scriptures but I kind of got a fresh glimpse of something that's really uh, awesome 
about the Word of God. It's basically from start to finish, we've got the creation and then we have God's interaction with man all the way through. If you go to Genesis chapter one, it all starts with what God's gonna do with man. In the beginning, God, I'm just gonna, you don't have to turn, I'm gonna read a couple of verses to give you a sense of what the Bible is actually really all about in this one sense. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created by forming from nothing the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, or a waste and emptiness, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, the primeval ocean that covered the unformed earth. The Spirit of God was moving, hovering, brooding over the face of the waters. And then God kicks in, and step by step, we get creation. That's chapter one. You go to chapter two. You just never quit seeing God and his interaction with man. He creates the place for man, then he creates man, and then the whole thing through, it's Connor, constant interaction between God and man, right up to the time that you come to Jesus, and now he's in the flesh. So God blesses the seventh day, sanctifies it, rests, and uh, then he forms, it goes back and it recounts the story of forming the man and then the woman. Uh, he takes the man, he puts him in the garden, and then he makes this wonderful pronouncement, and he, we can all learn from this. It is not good. We all know this, but it's good to be reminded. It's not good for the man to be alone. So he creates the woman. Uh, and I like what he says about the woman. I will make him a helper, one who balances him. Those of you who are married could probably quickly say, yes, my wife balances me. Uh, a counterpart that is suitable in complementary form. That's chapter two. God's involvement in the next part of creation institutes marriage, a relationship of a man and a wife. And then chapter three, you get the serpent, you get the temptation, they fall. And then here's God again, shows up, verse eight, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool afternoon breeze of the day so the man and his wife hid and kept themselves hidden from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called Abe, Adam and said to him, where are you? The fall and the consequences. God's right there involved with man each step of the way. And it just, it doesn't end. The whole story of scripture is man, what he does, God's involvement, God speaking to him, God working with him, God showing up over and over and over. Cain and Eve have their first kids. You've got Cain and Abel. And they bring their offerings to God. And Cain, for whatever reason, chooses to bring the wrong offering. It's not the offering God wanted. And Cain sees that Abel's offering is accepted and Cain gets angry. God shows up. I don't know if it was in the flesh. I don't know if it was by the spirit, but he shows up, starts talking to him. And the Lord said to Cain, um, why are you so angry? Why do you look annoyed if you do well? Believing me and doing what is acceptable and pleasing to be, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, but ignore my instruction, sin crouches at your door. Its desire is for you to overpower you, but you must master it. Cain doesn't listen, kills his brother. God shows up again. Where is Abel, your brother? You know the story. You go to the, it, it just doesn't end. You come down to, uh, then the earth becomes 
completely corrupt. God comes down to check it out, and he ends up, you know, the story of Noah, and God deals with judgment to mankind. You go on. Um, uh, it, it just doesn't end. You come to the Tower of Babel after the flood, and God comes down to see the city and the tower that they'd made and to evaluate. It says, not good. They've all joined together, one place. They all speak the same language, and their intent is against me. I'm going to confuse their language, and I'm going to scatter them over the face of the whole earth. And God does it. God intervenes in history. Again, you've got man. You've got God. You go on. Um, so um, the flood happened during, during the time of the flood. God shows up, does what he does after the flood. God shows up, sends a wind to make the waters abate. His involvement is everywhere, every step of the way. It just doesn't end. Afterwards, he sends the rainbow, pronounces blessings upon them, gives them instructions. And then before long, you come to Abraham. So God speaks to Abraham, calls him out. It doesn't end. It is the story of the Bible from start to finish. He made us, created the place for us to live, makes us, and then is there every step of the way, every step of the way, every step of the way, until you culminate in the time of the gospel where the one that had been foretold for a very long time, thousands of years was going to come, comes Jesus. And I love this. It's really a continuation now of God showing up and interacting with man in a hands-on, in-the-flesh way. I love this. While he was passing by, so much we can learn from these different stories. He noticed a man who had been born blind. First thing that, that kind of got me here is Jesus says he was passing by, wasn't like me. I am tunnel vision, tunnel focused. I see what is in front of me. My wife can tell you I don't notice anything unless it's right smack in front of me. Jesus noticed and took the time to do something in the situation. And we can learn from this because in many spiritual ways, as we are passing by, so to speak, as we are in our daily lives, there's opportunities. Probably not for anything quite this dramatic. I thought that would be, I mean, God does supernatural healings, but I don't know that, you know, the thing is, there's, there are things that God has for us if we're awake if we're attuned, if we've got eyes to see and ears to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when he wants us to do things. Jesus was in tune. He's passing by. He noticed a man who had been born blind from birth. And we can learn from this. The question that they asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus says, neither. It was so that the works of God could be manifested in this man. That's why he was born blind, because God had a plan to display his glory and do something supernatural. I think that, okay, it is true, there are some sins that bring sickness, like STDs, that's just cause and effect. Uh, Proverbs talks about that, uh, as it warns against being promiscuous. It says, if you ignore this instruction, there will come the time when, when your flesh and your heart are consumed, when your body is sick and racked with illness 
because of this, and you will say, you will ask yourself, Proverbs says, why didn't I listen to instruction? So there are some cause and effects of some sins, but I think it's maybe too common and too human of a thing for us to just assume that it's his fault. Must be his fault, or must be his parents. Try to find blame, let's try to find fault, and, and instead of this, we should probably, in situations, not be trying to look for blame so much, but what God may want to do with the situation. That's how Jesus looked at it. He didn't look at, we need to blame somebody for this man's condition. He says, no, 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 that's not, that's not what's going on here. This is for the glory of God. He's in this condition because we want to do something. Me and the Father are looking to show up here and do a miracle. And I think we can learn from that to look at situations a little bit differently instead of pointing the fingers, say, what does God want to do? What can happen here? How can God show up and fix this? How can God get glory in this situation? And then he says this. Uh, he says, this is so that the works of God could be displayed and illustrated within him. And then he makes this amazing statement. We must work the works of him who sent me while this day. I like the way he says this, we. The disciples were included in this, we. He set the example here. He passed by, he noticed the situation, he was in tune to the spirit. God was wanting to do something and then he uses it as a teachable moment as well. We must work the works of him who sent me while this day. The night comes when no man can work. You see, even Jesus, with all the amazing things he was gonna do, his ministry was lasted for three and a half years. He only had three and a half years to get it done. Everything he was going to do had to get done. He didn't waste the opportunities. He was about getting it done. And every one of us, we only have so much time to accomplish what God wants us to do. And then the night comes when no man can work. There will come a day when our, our time here is done. There's no more time left to work. So the best thing we can do is get on board with the Spirit and do our part, whatever that is. Do our part. We must work the works of him who sent me, wild as day. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He knew his time was, was limited to be here in the person, in the flesh, giving guidance through my word and works. And I love what he does. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with his saliva and spread the mud like an ointment on the man's eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away, washed, and came back seen. Sometimes it's interesting, uh, you see this repeated in other stories, sometimes Jesus would just speak a word and that was enough. Other times, depending on what he was doing, he would require an act of obedience, an act of faith. He put the mud on, made this mud into ointment, and, like an ointment, and spread it on his eyes, but then said, go wash. And it wasn't until he went and washed, until he obeyed and showed the faith of believing in the word of Jesus that he came back seeing. It's kind of like what Elijah did the time with the man with the leper. Go wash in the Jordan. Dip yourself seven times. Don't we have a lot of rivers cleaner than that one? Why that one? Go wash. Dip yourself seven times. And he went, and you could probably hear him dipping, number six. I'm the same. Number seven, he comes up and there is not a bit of leprosy on this man. 
Um, I remember a time I had a funny injury and, and it wouldn't go away. And I've been started really praying about it, saying, Lord, I've tried everything, it just won't go away. And, and I knew this day I was supposed to go to the prayer meeting at the church and I was gonna ask the elders to pray for me. And I knew that God was gonna heal me. I just knew it, I had that faith. So I went, they prayed over me. I got home and God said, I just through the spirit spoke to me and said, put that ointment on one more time. I had this ripped, I'd ripped something kind of in here. That hurt line was putting a kind of a warming ointment on every night and it would help, but just wouldn't go away. It's clear as day, put it on one more time. I said, okay. I kind of knew the gist of this, you know, from these stories, like, okay, you want me to obey? I'll do it. Put it on, woke up the next morning, never had a bit of pain again, gone. Sometimes the Lord does that. I don't know why. He just asks you to do something in faith that doesn't even necessarily make sense and then does what he wants to do. So he went away and washed and came back seen. And I love it. When God does something in your life, whatever it is, it can be supernatural healing. It can be change of heart. It can be change of character. It's all about God. All these things matter. Uh, oftentimes it's what's inside that needs to be changed more than anything. Uh, but whether it's internal change, sometimes the internal change is more dramatic and speaks way more even than something crazy supernatural. That, and trust me, the internal change, that's supernatural too. Because as humans, we don't change oftentimes very easily. Uh, and when we change dramatically, spiritually, it can speak volumes. I love this. All this talk now, is this even the man? It can't be, the, are you, yes, I am. And then they ask him, how are your eyes opened? And I love this. This should be our answer. When something dramatic enough happens in our lives that people ask us, what happened to you? You can say, the man called Jesus touched me. Isn't that the most awesome answer in the world? And you know, it's, it's true today still. We can all still be touched by Jesus in a variety of different ways. And that answer, it's the best answer. It's so powerful. The man called Jesus did this. And what a testimony. You read some of the stories of how many people were influenced uh, during Jesus' time, during the book of Acts, as all the crazy things were happening, God was moving and working. Oh, it caused dramatic interest and change of heart in the people that saw. Imagine how it must have been to see Saul transformed. The man who had hated Christians, persecuted, and then absolutely a new man, preaching Jesus who he had been persecuting up till then. Imagine what an effect that had. The amazing thing is the same thing. Those who chose to be separated from God still chose to be separated from God, but those that God was working on and had open hearts, those things make a dramatic difference on. Then they brought the man who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. It was on a Sabbath day that Jesus made them and opened the man's eyes. Can't imagine living under the rules and regulations that these people lived under. And it wasn't just that they had laws that they were under during that time, but it was all the embellishments and added rules and regulations that they added. Jesus talked about and dressed it so many times that they would take a commandment of God and write in dozens and maybe even, I, I looked it up and I was, I was curious about this. The Jews, even till today, 
have on this for the Sabbath day, keeping of the Sabbath, 35 categories of work that they've come up with and hundreds of subcategories. You cannot, the day before the Sabbath, you are required to go to your refrigerator and unscrew the light bulb so that when you open the refrigerator, the light will not come on because that would be considered work in their list of hundreds of ways that they did, that they added to God's command to rest on the Sabbath. And this is the sort of thing that was going on. Jesus called them out on their hypocrisy time and time again. For example, one of the occasions when he healed someone on the Sabbath day and they were accusing him, he said, if any of you has an ox or a donkey that falls into a pit on a Sabbath day, every one of you go and you get them out, don't you? Yes, it's work, but it was considered saving life. He goes, shouldn't this son of Abraham be healed and made whole on the Sabbath day? They're completely hypocritical in their, in their keeping of the law. So the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sign. He said, he smeared mud on my eyes, I washed and now I see it. So some of them said, well, then he must be a sinner because he did this on the Sabbath day. And the others said, how can a sinner do something like this? I don't think he's a sinner. He just opened the eyes of a man who was born blind. So there was a difference of opinion among them. So accordingly, because there was a difference of opinion, they asked him this question. I love this question. And the answer is pertinent too. And we need to think about this too because People will ask us this when God does dramatic things in our lives. They say, so what do you say about him? Okay, he did this crazy thing in your life. What do you say about him? What can you tell me about him? What's your opinion of him? How do you view him? What do you say about him? And he said, and this is interesting, we gotta give this guy leeway here because he wasn't, he was on his path towards conversion. This man's path towards conversion had just started. He still didn't fully know who Jesus was. So we give him a break here in his answer. If we in this room gave this answer, we would have to say, that's a weak answer. But for this man, we gotta give him a break. He was on his path to understanding. He didn't fully know yet. He said, it must be that he's a prophet. It's a good answer for this man at his stage. He's growing in his knowledge. But something we can learn from this, when we're asked, do we have the right answer? Do we, do we know enough about our Jesus? Are we gonna give a weak answer? Because for us to just say he's a prophet, that'd be, for us, that'd be weak. It's not enough. He's much more than just a prophet, much more. There's not a religion in the world today that doesn't believe, hardly, that Jesus is a prophet. Almost everyone says, oh yes, he's a prophet. But he's much more than just a prophet. So we can learn from that. So then you get to the story of, of uh, they call his parents and they grill them. And out of fear, because they knew what would come, if they said too much, they said, ask him. Just ask him, he can speak for himself, he's of age. Apparently at 13 years and one day old back then, you were considered of age. Makes you wonder if we haven't babyfied ourselves a little bit too much in this day and age. Back then, you're of age, 13. Crazy, different, different world back then. So a second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give God glory and praise for your sight. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner separated from God. 
And he gives his answer, I don't know. I don't know. I just know that I was blind and now I see. And then they, they uh, grill him again. What did he actually do to you? He answered, I already told you. You don't want to listen. I don't know what was in his mind and his heart when he gives the answer. You keep asking me so much because you want to become his disciple too. I don't know if that was mockingly at this point, out of sheer aggravation. I don't know what was in his heart and mind. He certainly, I think, would have been entitled to have a little bit of aggravation at this point. I wonder what this looked like, though, when he gave that answer. It says they stormed at him. What did that look like? All running at him, yelling, fists raised, and they threw him out. What did that look like? Did they literally pick him up? It says they threw him out of the synagogue. Um, and then I love this. Jesus heard that he'd been put out of the synagogue and finds him and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, Lord? Who is he, Lord, that I may believe? He says, it's, it's me. Now that, um, that, uh, title that Jesus gives here, the Son of Man, that's, it's an interesting title. Because who was Jesus? Who was Jesus? If you look in the scriptures, uh, we're given all the different aspects of who he is, and the scripture's pretty straightforward. You go to the Gospel of John, and it opens up straight with these words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created by him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Paul, in one of his epistles, says, by him, all things were created, speaking of Jesus. Jesus was the word of God. He was the person of the Godhead at creation, speaking creation into existence, literally speaking it into existence. But he refers to himself often also as the Son of Man. What's that all about? How is the Son of God, which is a title that he also used, how is he also the Son of Man? It's, it's a very interesting terminology. I think what it has to do with is, you see, the Son of God became, through the virgin birth, through uh, the incarnation, as it's referred to, the Son of Man. But the Son of Man is also the Son of God. They're, they're both there. Both sides are there. He's completely human, but he's also the Son of God. And he, I love this title because it, it refers back to a prophecy in the book of Daniel where this phrase is used. And here's, I'm just going to read it to you. It's in Daniel 7. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, on the clouds of heaven, remember when Jesus said, I'm going to return on the clouds of heaven, and behold, on the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, the son of man, the Messiah, was given dominion, supreme authority, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and speakers of every language should serve and worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom, one which will not be destroyed. Jesus, when he was on trial for his life at the end, they wanted him to admit that he believed he was deity, that he believed he was the son of God, and then they would have the cause that they needed to execute him. And here they ask him, are you the Christ? And it's interesting, they ask him, 
using the more the son of God term, and he answers with the son of man. Are you the Christ, the son of the living God? And then he uses the phrase, which they would have known from the Old Testament and understood. He says, I am, he admits it, I am, and you will see the son of man coming with great power and glory, this prophecy of Daniel. We serve an awesome God. And my challenge to you is Jesus is still active and available. The Bible from start to finish is a story of God's interaction with man. It, it doesn't end. God never intended for us to do life on our own. He intended to be interacting with us every step of the way. And it's kind of, in a lot of respects, we get to choose how much of that we want. So I would say, I know for me, I would want more. How much do you want God showing up? How much do you want God interacting in your life? He wants to be there. He was there from day one. He made this place for us. He created it so that he could then create us. And he created us to be involved with us. I like when he, he, he says a lot things in the Old Testament like, he would say this phrase, think about it. I am your God. I want to be your God. Do we want him to be our God? He wants to be involved. He wants to be your God, not, not an idol, not a little figure, little statue that you have in the corner of the room that you offer prayers to, but a living God that will interact with you. Um, he will interact. You know, there's the supernatural ways that he can interact with us, and those are awesome, but they're usually, those are, those are, those are not the everyday norm, those crazy supernatural things. They're awesome when they happen. Uh, like uh, when I had mono for two years and, and Josh prayed for me after church and uh, one night later, God supernaturally touched me and I felt it when it happened and God healed me. Love it, awesome, awesome. It's wonderful. Um, another very supernatural thing I got to experience that was really wonderful was some months ago, I was going through a struggle and I was really discouraged and, and really feeling down and, and uh, feeling kind of just really worthless in a lot of ways. And I got on my knees and I was crying out to God and telling him exactly how I felt in detail. It was very specific. I knew what my concern was. I was telling him how I felt. I just really, with all my heart, cried out to God and said, God, this is how I feel. About three days later, I'm at work and they bring me my next client. She sits down at my desk, never seen this lady before, never helped her before. And the first thing she said to me, she sits down and with a smile on her face, she says, I'm a crazy Christian. And I thought, okay, this is gonna be good. She probably is a crazy Christian. This is gonna be interesting. Turns out she was crazy in a good sense. And so we're sitting there talking and, and she says, she says, you know, God talks to me all the time. And I'm thinking at this point still, okay, I understand God speaks to us, he does. But when a person just comes right out and tells you that, you think, okay, this guy's crazy, right? This is gonna be a real weirdo. She goes, and he's talking to me right now, Tim. He has a lot of things that he wants to say to you. I said, okay, and I started to get my interest. And he says, Tim, 
And then I won't tell you the details, but I'm just going to tell you, she started telling me in detail exactly what God was thinking about what I had prayed about and the way he viewed me and the way he saw what I was expressing to him. It was like she was there and heard my prayer, but she wasn't. And she was literally, she says, okay, she says, now God's telling me some more, Tim. And then she told me this. I was, almost, I was at my desk at work. I was almost crying because like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So supernatural, obviously some, a special type of prophecy gift that this woman had. And she was sent there by God to give me an answer to this prayer that I had prayed and totally spoke to what was troubling me. It was absolutely crazy. And there's, there's so many other ways that sometimes are more, that, and that was life-changing. I still, I periodically just thank God and say, thank you, Lord. That word was so awesome. Thank you. It's what I needed to hear. I still need to hear it. So other things. Something that uh, I've been working with for a very long time and hasn't been blessed. You know, sometimes I've been telling people this lately. You know, there's a scripture that says if we would judge ourselves, then we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord so that we would not be condemned with the world. Sometimes I challenge you with this. If God keeps stopping you up short on something, maybe it's time to just ask him why. God, is there a block in me? Is there something in me that's hindering this? So I started asking this. I said, you know what? I've been butting my head against a brick wall for a very long time. So I just started saying, God, what is hindering your blessing on this? What is it? Oh my goodness. Talk about opening a floodgate of information. He told me one thing and I actually put it in a note. Like, oh my gosh, that's powerful. And you know, the word of God it says that the word of God is alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. When God speaks to you, it is so spot on. He separates the bull crap, the lies from the truth, all the lies we tell ourselves, all the ways we think we're okay, and we're maybe walking in sin, and we didn't realize it, and we realize when God cuts through and speaks, it's actually some pretty ugly sin. I just didn't even realize it. And then a few days later, he gave me the next piece of information. I wrote it down. Several of them hurt to hear. Cutting away this between soul and spirit and showing the baloney, the garbage and the lies that I was telling myself. And I would meditate on it and say, okay, God, that hurts. That is painful, but you're 100% right. You are speaking the truth. That's right where I'm at. Oh, my gosh. And he's, I don't know, given me probably 10 or 15 things. I've written them all, every, down, every one of them down, meditate on them. And, uh, and then what's cool is, is when you start to change in some of those things, and your wife says to you, when you tell her something, who are you? And this is in a good way. When that's in a bad way, you know you're in trouble. But when she says, who are you? Like, what's happening with you? Well, the man called Jesus. Get close to Jesus, folks. He's alive and well and wants to be involved in our lives. I should close in a prayer. God, we just pray. Bless your word. Thank you for each one here, Lord. Be with us as we go out this week. Lord, I say for myself, I want more of you. And I pray for more of you in every one of our lives, Lord. Amen.